American Nightmare Podcast presents The Long Walk Written by Randall Sanborn Fields Read by Mike Smith The Long Walk Roland Flagg was hungry and starving like Marvin Gaye, to put it more adequately. A Wendy's commercial had just come on. He was two hours into a Colombo marathon when it flashed like lightning on the screen. It was a lot louder than Colombo. The wannabe Pippi Longstocking logo, and then two old ladies staring quizzically at what appeared to be two pieces of bread. Where's the beef? All bun, no beef. Not at Wendy's. Uh-uh. Wendy's had more beef than the Whopper and Big Mac. It was the geometric squareness of the patty that tantalized his taste buds. Sure, it was the catalyst for his hunger, but not totally. When he went to places like Wendy's to actually order what he saw in the commercials, he always came out disappointed. The tomatoes weren't as red and ripe and brightly colored. The lettuce wasn't as crispy. The onions didn't seem as crunchy and the meat was definitely never so tender. The people behind the counter rarely ever smiled. It was all pretend. Did they really want to take his order? Did they really want him to have a nice day? The commercials never tell you that the woman behind the counter is making minimum wage, working three jobs, raising five kids, and with no baby daddy in sight. They never tell you that, because Wendy's has more beef than the Whopper and the Big Mac, probably combined. He was looking for a unique taste, one that didn't play to the whims of the public. His mind flipped through all the popular and local food chains. No, those places wouldn't do. Besides, at this hour, most restaurants were closed. Columbo was back on, but Roland was starving, and he was willing to travel in order to satisfy his insatiable hunger. And then it hit him. Like Dr. Frankenstein finally realizing his creation. It's alive! He remembered this phrase because, when he was fifteen and a resident of Abbott House, a diagnostic center in Irvington, New York for troubled boys, he was Frankenstein's creation, and Francisco Rodriguez was the great doctor. Francisco never forgot to remind him of his position on the grand totem pole of insignificance. All of Francisco's hand-me-downs became his. His fila sneakers, his adoration of Patrick Ewing. Out of sixty children, Roland Flagg was always one of the last to be picked in any sports competition. Not the very last, of course, because Francisco Rodriguez was always there to swoop him up at the final minute when Roland Flagg was just beginning to feel that nobody wanted him. Standing opposite of Gregory Williams, his frog-eyed, pimple-faced, washed-out doppelganger, yeah, I'ma take Roland Flag. That's my boy. It's alive. He was that ugly. 
White Castle. It was perfect. White Castle was open 24 hours. Although the locations had dwindled down over the years, he knew of one that was still open. 550 East Fordham Road. He remembered that because on some Saturdays, on weekly home visits, the number 60 bus from White Plains went to its final destination of East Fordham Road and Hoffman Street. It wasn't the best way to come back home from upstate. It took over two hours and thirty stops. But sometimes Roland had to think. Sometimes the North Metro was entirely too fast at reaching its destination. He wasn't always eager to get back home. It would take at least thirty minutes to walk there, and an hour before he could sink his teeth into a White Castle burger. It was worth it. If he hurried back, he'd only miss one episode of Columbo and could still witness the legendary detective catch the bad guy. That was his favorite part. Roland loved the trademarked Columbo interrogation. Just one more question. It was the middle of July. The fan batted away the sweat from his eyebrows. There was no preparation in the journey. However, there was one concern. This was the Bronx. Even at this hour, people were awake. He could remember standing on the corner of Loring Place and 183rd Street. At 2 a.m. in the morning, Mike the dealer and his cronies were wide awake, dotted all throughout Loring Place. Drug dealing and hustling were a 24-hour business where he lived. If he took the Sedgwick Avenue and West 183rd Street route, he would be sure to pique the interest of Mike the dealer and his crew. Mike the dealer wasn't especially an advocate of Roland Flagg. Yo, Aries, why are you always hanging out with this little ugly-ass nigga? Aries who was Roland Flagg's best friend, was secretly dating Fatima, who was Mike the dealer's daughter. You can't protect that nigga forever. When you're not around, we gonna body that nigga. Mike would often say that to Ares. Ares was now locked up in Rikers Island due to a felony drug conviction and wouldn't be back for at least two years. He could go down Sedgwick Avenue but that didn't change anything. The dealers didn't actually work for Mike. However, they were dealers all the same and held the same conviction of causing bodily harm to anything vulnerable that moved. Always on the lookout for a come-up or a quick score. Roland hadn't actually encapsulated the feeling of someone who was down. His look didn't compliment the Bronx profile. He was short, skinny, and wore thick-framed glasses. Even though he was black, the neighborhood folk nicknamed him White Bread. That was on account of Roland Flagg running away once and then getting shipped off to the white part of New York State, Westchester. However, right now, here he was forced to make a decision to which way he would finally choose 
he would close his eyes and turn around counterclockwise for ten seconds. When he stopped and opened his eyes, he would go down whichever street he was looking at. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. When Roland Flagg opened them, he was dead on Sedgwick Avenue and 183rd Street. He hesitantly took the first step. Sedgwick Ave sat atop a steep hill. The locals liked to walk their pit bull terriers down here. It was a challenge not to step in shit every couple of paces. It was dark. The streetlights had failed to come on, and he was wearing his new Jordans. He had to look dip when he went out. You never knew who was watching, even at two in the morning. He dreamed of White Castle. White Castle was founded on September 13, 1921, in Wichita, Kansas, by Billy Ingram and Walter Anderson. Walter had experienced small success in the food vendor industry, while Billy Ingram was a prominent real estate agent. Together, they would build what Times Magazine called the most influential burger of all time. Anderson is also credited with inventing the first hamburger bun. The two started with only $700. It was during a time when most Americans were afraid to eat beef due to the 1906 Upton Sinclair novel, The Jungle. The novel's intentions were to highlight the working poor's plight in the meatpacking plants of the Chicago stockyards and to advance the idea of socialism in the United States. Instead, it ended up opening the public's eyes to food safety in America. White Castle is often credited as the first fast food chain in America, easily recognized by its signature white porcelain enamel glazed bricks and castle-like architecture. After the success of White Castle, naturally, there came many competitors daring to imitate the original. Many simply replaced the word castle with other words such as dome, hut, kitchen, log, fortress, and other homey words. But none could match the success of the original. To this day, White Castle is privately owned by a single company. None of them are franchised, which guarantees the same taste and menu, no matter which White Castle one decides to visit. Up ahead, Roland had seen some figures and heard laughing, but hadn't noticed until he was virtually right on top of them. He could faintly make them out. It was Mike the dealer and his crew. He knew by his obnoxious voice. Wasn't he supposed to be on Loring Place? Maybe they didn't see him. Maybe he could slowly turn around and go down Loring Place instead. Yo, who that? Mike the dealer yelled out. He could turn around right now, but then it would be so awkward. It would make them feel like he was afraid of them. He could pretend like he forgot something. No, no. 
it probably would be best to just walk through. It was only four of them, after all. It would be best not to bring attention to himself. It would be easy-peasy, Japanesey. They flanked his right and left. Mike, that's Aries, boy. That little bitch-ass dick and rolling flag. Rusty was Mike the dealer's second lieutenant. He was promoted when Ares was sent to prison for slinging crack on the corner of West 183rd and Davidson Avenue. Apart from being Mike's lieutenant, he was a known dusthead. Dustheads were those who were addicted to fencyclidine or PCP. Some people on the block like to call it angel dust because of how high it took you. It's a hallucinogenic drug that often brings on very violent behavior. Word on the block was that one time Rusty got so high that he strangled both of his adult pit bulls to death with his bare hands. Yo, come over here, Mike yelled. Should he go over? If he ran, they would be sure to follow. God damn it, they were supposed to be on Loring Place. Where the fuck you going at this hour? It's my business. I just want to have a walk. Mike the dealer looked up and clasped his chest as if struck by an arrow. He chuckled. You getting smart, nigga? Nah, I'm just saying. What are you saying? This is my business. These is my streets. Nobody move on them unless I say. I'm, I'm sorry, Mike. Roland Flagg felt his throat clutch. His mind was going through a half a dozen scenarios of how this could turn out. Who told you my name? Ares told me. What, nigga? Speak up. Ares told me. What's in your pockets, man? Nothing. Give it here. Just then, a familiar sound crept into the background the whiny whirl of the sirens. The red and blue oscillating lights reflected off of the buildings. Three vehicles were racing towards them. He knew it wasn't for Mike and his crew, but this was his time to make a slick getaway. If he started running now, he calculated the police cars wouldn't surpass him until he was all the way down the hill. Mike wouldn't dare give chase, and risk calling attention to his stash. He made a run for it. Mike tried to grab him, but missed. The sirens were getting louder. Roland was fast. When he was in fifth grade at PS 81 in Riverdale, Mrs. Fox picked him for the National Track and Field Day 100-yard dash. He didn't know why, because he had never exhibited any innate ability to run faster than the average person. He remembered practicing all weekend at school in front of Aunt Myrna's apartment building, next to Crotona Park. Up and down the block he ran, until he was matching the city bus's speed. When Monday came, Roland felt as fast as lightning, and was prepared to beat anyone. The official fired a shot into the air. He was off, his small chest heaving, arms pumping, 
His legs were pistons on a locomotive. It was like gliding through the air and riding an energy wave. It wasn't fast enough. He came in seventh place, which was next to last. The first place finisher's legs were like old oak trees. Come to find out, the top three finishers were upperclassmen from the eighth and ninth grades. He could complain to Mrs. Fox about it. That's not fair. I've ran all weekend. Everyone should have been equal. Mr. Flagg, if you expect the world to be fair with you because you are fair, you're fooling yourself. That's like expecting the lion not to eat you because you didn't eat him. Everyone is equal, but some people are just more equal than others. As Roland approached the corner, the last of the police cars were just passing him. He glanced back, but Sedgwick Avenue was too dark for him to see anything. The sky was as black as a velvet blanket. It would take him twenty-five minutes of fast walking to cover the full distance. He'd have to start off on West Fordham Road, one of the arterial veins of the Bronx, New York. He walked past the nail salons, the deli groceries, the Dominican superette, and soon he was upon the Loring Place intersection. He couldn't help but to look to his right. Fear came over him. Several hooded figures came trotting down the hill. Was Rusty wearing a hood? How many were there? He recalled Alex and Sergio. Alex was Rusty's brother, and every much the addict as the older. Sergio, he knew him very well. There was a time when Roland considered Sergio a good acquaintance. They hung out a few times. Trust was formed. That was until Sergio stole his $60. Roland treated the whole gang to booze and blunts after getting a tax return of $250. He didn't have a bank account, so Roland ran to the nearest check-cashing place, located on almost every other block. It was initially just him and Ares, but then they came like flies. Rusty, Jason, and Sergio. Sergio had changed positions with Ares, so he could hit the blunt next. So, you just got paid? Sergio asked. Yeah, tax return. Just brought my books for mid-semester. Ares caught me out, so here we are. Pass what's up. Yo, let me hit that. After the blunt and liquor were depleted, it was like clockwork. Everyone except Ares had dissipated. That's when Roland noticed his pockets were empty. Later on, Sergio bragged to everyone on the block. I got that nigga. He learned a valuable lesson that spring. Keep your friends close, but your enemies closer, unless you had money in your pocket. Roland couldn't quite make them out. They must have ran back to Sedgwick Avenue and decided to try to cut him off at Loring Place. Roland walked faster, 
and was approaching University Avenue and West Fordham Road. The streets ahead were empty. By this time, he imagined that Columbo was just getting on the scene. The culprit confidently finished the murder and was going on about his business. Columbo already suspected them. The first of many questions would soon come. On the corner of University Avenue stood St. Nicholas of Tortelline Church. Across the street from the church was a pawn shop, a check-cashing place, and a fried chicken joint. His hunger grew. White Castle was twenty minutes away. He envisioned the succulent beef patties with pickles, onions, and cheese, and could almost taste the lighter-than-air fluffy buns. The rigid fries, while not better than McDonald's, would more than suffice. One just hoped they weren't soggy. Welcome to White Castle. May I take your order, please? Yes, ma'am. Give me eight double cheese sliders, two sloppy joe sliders, two fries, and a Coke. Okay. Will that be to stay or to go? To go. Where you think you're going, nigga? Yeah. Mike ain't say you could leave. What? What do you mean? I'm ordering. He looked back. The three hooded figures were closing in. He walked faster. Was it worth it? He could run back home now and just wait until morning where he felt safer. No. All the marbles were in it now. He just had to keep on walking. Don't run. If he ran, then they would do the same. Aqueduct Park, which some aptly named Addict Park, was coming up. And then there would be Grand, Davidson, and Jerome Avenue. At Jerome Avenue, Roland could hear the four train overhead. The ground rumbled, reminding him of some terrible roller coaster he had ridden once at Rye Playland. The clicking clack of wood on metal. The trio was closing. Ramona M. Valdez Square, planted in the middle of East Fordham Road and the Grand Concourse, was named after a fallen Dominican Marine in the Iraq War. She died when her convoy was attacked by a suicide bomber. She was only twenty years old. One more question, please. Sure, I got nothing to hide. Nigga, why you run? Because I'm good at it. Jimmy Jazz, Joyce Leslie, Dr. Jays, Food Action, Banco Popular. Roland flew past them. He was just about there. The figures were closer now. He could recognize two of them. He wasn't surprised at what he saw. He zipped past the Metro North Railroad station that took commuters to Connecticut and Westchester. Back in the day on the weekends, Roland used to take the train from White Plains as part of mandated home visit issued by the state. If he missed the train, he'd have to wait an hour. So sometimes he opted to take the bus instead. 
he could faintly hear the pitter-patter of feet smacking the pavement. He was running at top speed now, but they were getting closer. At the Fordham University gate, Roland stopped to catch his breath, but only for a moment. The gang behind him were less than 500 feet away. Directly across the street from him was Theodore Roosevelt High School. Ares used to go there, but he dropped out at the 11th grade. Man, it's more fucked up inside than it is out. Feel me? What do you mean? I mean, when you was up in Westchester, did your school have metal detectors? No. Why? Because I guess we didn't need them. <laughs> exactly. He used to walk by a couple of times and noticed how in Fordham University, the students seemed like they were in their own protective bubble, a hidden pocket in his universe. It was like magic the way the demographic was so different. At last, 550 East Fordham Road. The whiteness of the castle contrasted all the brown buildings that stood before it. He entered. Roland was greeted by a fine-looking Hispanic girl. Her hair was plaited in French braids. Welcome to White Castle. What do you want? Call the police. I'm being followed. Roland said breathlessly. Don't you got a phone? Yeah, but they won't believe me if I told them. Ain't nobody got time for that. You gonna order or not? All right, give me the Castle Pack 8 and hurry up. The Castle Pack 8 included 10 original sliders, a sack of chicken rings, and a sack of fries. That will be 2164. Roland frantically dug in his wallet. He didn't remember White Castle being so expensive. They would probably be here any minute and must have seen him come in. He pulled out $21. To stay or to go? What? To stay or to go? To stay, to stay. No, 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 to go. You sure? Yes, I'm sure. There was nowhere Roland could run now while waiting for the door to fly open. Still, nobody came. The fine Hispanic girl handed him his food. It would take another thirty minutes to get back. He couldn't wait and wanted to taste just one. Out came one of the original sliders. The burger didn't look how Roland had remembered them. It was so slimy and drooped. The onions weren't crisp at all. The meat seemed smeared on and stuck to the bread. He took a bite. It tasted how it had looked. All this way and all this time for this. There was no running when Sergio lifted his shirt to show the semi-automatic pistol lodged in his camouflaged pants, purple boxers ballooning out. Rusty and some big burly other guy flanked him from both sides. The entrance of White Castle was too far away for the Hispanic girl to see him now. This nigga can run. We almost lost you. Rusty panted with both palms cupping his knees, 
the big burly guy, who seemed like a giant compared to Roland, ripped the wallet from his jittery hands and pulled out $300. That's what's up. So you got paid? Sergio asked rhetorically. As Sergio pointed the pistol at Roland Flagg's head, it was the only thing he could think about before everything went black. Just one more question, 